Welcome to Swift Unscripted. Swift podcasts give you, the listener, the opportunity to hear the inside story and be part of the conversation about all means all with leaders in the field of inclusive education and school-wide transformation. Today, we are recording a podcast in the town of Burlington, Vermont, where we are conducting some Swift Fit assessments to learn more about inclusive practices at model schools in the state. While here, we have the privilege of meeting up with one of our colleagues, Dr. Shauna Haynes, so that we can interview her on the topic of family professional partnerships. Dr. Haynes is an assistant professor in the College of Education and Social Services at the University of Vermont. She came to UVM in 2013 from the University of Kansas, where she studied special education, family professional partnership, and disability policy. She also worked for the Swift Center. For seven years before moving to Kansas, she taught diverse elementary students in New York City and Portland, Maine. Her research interests include understanding and improving the experiences of refugee families and their children with the American school system, inclusive school reform, and innovative teacher education. So welcome, Shauna. Thank you, Allison. <laughs> We're so excited to have you and learn from you more about family professional partnerships. So I know that you work with pre-service teachers and educators, so I was hoping that you could just start by telling our listeners maybe some tips about how they can work with educators to have really meaningful partnerships with the families. Great. Um, I'd love to talk about that. It's my favorite subject. (laughs) Um, So I think that the biggest thing that we need to do as educators is to remember that we are all human. And Just like when um, you meet a new person, any new person who you might meet maybe in a social gathering, um, you treat that person like they're human, you're interested in them, and um, you seek out ways that you can connect with them. And they usually reciprocate that and seek out ways that they can connect with you. And I think that what happens a lot of times is that when you're a teacher, you have expectations for your behavior. You know what you need to do. Um, And you usually have, (laughs) at least in my experience as a teacher, I always had way more to do than I could actually do, right? So I (laughs) was teachers, yeah, busy and, you know, just always kind of going from one thing to the next. And I remember making a lot of to-do lists, for example, Um, and, you know, needing to check things off those to-do lists, make sure that I talk to Julia's mom, you know, when her mom comes to pick pick her up, Uh, make sure that I do this, make sure that I do that, et cetera. And um, once I had done what I needed to do, I would sort of cross it off my mental to-do list or my physical to-do list Um, And it would cease to be something that was weighing on my mind because I was in my professional mode. And I think sometimes I I forgot that I'm working with humans and that people really want to connect on this human level. Um, And so just like when I meet new people and I reach out to them to um, get to know them as individuals, and I also... Um, put myself out there and I seek for them to get to know me and then as I said they usually reciprocate Um, that's something that I think teachers should really be encouraged to do and you know with our systems that are in place it's really hard for teachers to do that like I said you know there's so much that we have to do as educators that it's hard to take the time to relax and to actually have conversations where we can be really mindful about just the, the act of forming a relationship. Right. But I think that that's the key. Um, and I, I've noticed uh, as I work with pre-service teachers and I teach a class on family partnership, and um, as I work with them and we explore different um, parts of the family system and and um, they do a lot of partner work where they get to know somebody else in the class, and a lot of the time we're using kind of scripted conversation guides. Right. And that's how they get to know each other. 
And we talk about afterwards how much they got to know each other just through these, you know, kind of quick, maybe seven or eight minute long exercises where they're really just kind of getting into deep conversation. And, you know, as I said, it's not really rocket science. We're all human and we all just really want to connect. And I think that that's the key. Yeah, I think that that's a really good, simple tip for people. And I think even I was guilty as an educator of maybe just, oh, I need to make this many contacts in a week. I need to send out this newsletter. And it just became, like you said, just checking it off the box Mm -hmm. and making sure that I fulfilled that, oh, I made those family connections instead of, you know, really and making it about forming those relationships. I think relationship is the key Right. Part of that. Right. And no, you can't have a relationship that's informed by to-do lists, exactly. right? <laughs> and, you know, this came up in my dissertation study, which is when I started really thinking about it. So back when I was at KU and my dissertation was a, a an in-depth case study of a child who was um, under evaluation for a disability Um, and he came from a refugee family, and it was a case study of his experiences at home and at the Head Start where he attended preschool in in the Midwest. Um, And I was looking specifically around the skills uh, that would lead to later self-determination that his, um, and and how his teachers fostered those skills and how his family fostered those skills and how those contrasted. But I was also looking at the family professional partnership between the family who was, they were refugees from Somalia and the teachers. And um, I noticed that his, you know, his teacher had, she was fantastic. She had really great intentions, but she was a Head Start teacher. She had a full section of students in the morning and then a full one in the afternoon. And she had, you know, 45 minutes for lunch or something like that, which was lunch, cleaning the classroom and setting the classroom up. She was paid by the hour. Uh, She didn't have a contract. So any time that she spent after hours was on her own dime and she couldn't afford it. So she had another job teaching gymnastics in the evening and, um, and she had her own two children. Um, and uh, and was married, which is another responsibility yes. that we have. So um, she was, you know, very, very busy. And when she sat down for the parent-teacher conference with the family uh, that I was following for my case study, she had a checklist that was given by the Head Start where she worked. And the intention behind the checklist was totally positive. It was to make sure that she went through every element of the parent-teacher conference that Head Start wanted her to, and it abided by, you know, the Head Start regulations for um, for the family partnerships, and as I said, great intentions. But what happened was that she was trying to read her checklist while the parents were talking. So she was not making eye contact. Instead, she was looking at this paper. And then when the parents stopped talking, uh, for example, one, one question was, um, what are your goals for your child for this year? And while the father was talking, she was reading the next question and checking off the first question. And so we, no- I noticed this break in eye contact. The father noticed it. And, you know, you could read somebody's body language. It, she wasn't very engaged. And then when he was done, she went on to question number two. Right. And didn't those really goals that he to, had. Exactly. Right. They didn't inform anything. Right. And so... Um, you know, especially with uh, a program like Head Start and a refugee family who's sending their oldest child to school, their first experience with the American school system, when you see that, you know, this this teacher might be asking questions about uh, about something that, that shows that they really care about your input, but that they're not actually listening to it, what kind of a message does that send? 
you know, and that's where I, I go back to when I think about that. We are all human. Like if that teacher had, instead of having a checklist that told her, you know, the 15 questions she needed to ask in the 20 minute conference, or right. it, was, it was really crowded. Um, instead, if, if she had just had a conversation with the parents, like, tell me about yourself. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, this is your first child going. This is your first experience with the American schools. Wow. That's that's pretty amazing. And, you know, so what has he done before this? Then she would have realized that he had never actually been in any setting outside of his home before ever. He had never been with a babysitter. He had never been um, in any kind of care setting without his parents. Um, And he had never eaten any food except for Somali food. And, you know, she would have realized she would have learned these things. Right. Oh, that's amazing. And I, but I feel I really feel for the parents in that situation and for the educator because I just feel like I can understand that from coming from that place of just feeling overwhelmed and doing needing mm-hmm. to do this and probably she wasn't even aware of that disconnect. Right. Sometimes it's easier as an outsider to look in and see that than when you're in that moment. Absolutely, so. and that was one of the the um, privileges of being able to do this study and to be able to be you know as much a fly on the wall as I possibly could be. Um, in both settings. And I was able to kind of clarify things for her. And I pointed out a couple of of times, uh, and she saw the results of my study. And right. I pointed out a couple of times some of the real specific things um, and, and real assumptions that she made also. Right. Um, and that was, uh, it, it's really hard to realize or to be it's really hard to hear somebody else say to you that you've made some assumptions that can be really dangerous. Right. Um, and she, but she was, as I said, she was a really fantastic educator and she took the feedback and, right. and um, it made her stronger. She did look for another job too because the system of having so many kids in the morning and so many kids in the afternoon uh, was really a challenge to her being able to do the best job that she could do. Right. And um, and so she did look for another job, and I've lost touch with her since. I don't know if she got another job or not. Can you share any um, other examples? I know that you do a lot of work with refugee families and supporting mm-hmm. refugee families. Are there any other examples that you can share with our listeners? <laughs> oh, boy, that's a big question. <laughs> now that I'm thinking of it, there are so many. Um, you know, I think I, I would talk just about assumptions and about making mm-hmm. assumptions and not just having um, open, honest conversation. Um, one teacher I interviewed for a study I'm doing, I'm currently working on some longitudinal study, and it's um, it's understanding the relationship between the family and the teacher of refugee students who are in middle school. And it's it's not about disability at all. It's about um, middle school students who have arrived in the country with refugee status within the last three years. And so we're looking for families who are new to the country and maybe don't understand the American school system that much. Um, so the study design was to um, interview the child first okay. um, in their native language with an interpreter, then to interview the family uh, again, with an interpreter, and then after that, to do an observation of the child in the school, okay. um, in both their English their English learner classroom and their um, general education classroom, and then to interview the teacher, okay, and then to go back and interview the family again. Okay. So you know me; I'm always trying to make things as complex as I can, <laughs> and I succeeded in this yeah. project. <clears throat> um, but one of the things that I noticed was for uh, a particular student, um, I'll just call her A. Um, mm-hmm to keep it anonymous, and um, A's 
family said that they really wanted to know more about how she was doing in school. Uh, she was from Iraq, and they've been through a really, really tough uh, transition, um, and there's a lot of PTSD um, right. in the family. And um, they're really worried about how she's doing. And, and I don't know the specifics, and it's not my business about the specifics, but they're very concerned specifically about A, um, and less so about her older brothers. Um, and so they said they really wished that they knew more about how she was doing at school, but because they didn't know, they figured she was doing fine. And then when I interviewed the teacher, the teacher said, well, I don't want to bother the family gotcha. with um, any kind of negative news because they've been through so much. And I said, really, what have they been through? And he's like, well, you know, they're from Iraq, so they've probably been through a lot. And, I, and I'm not saying that he should have pushed that or really known the details, but I said, well, when you've met with them, have they expressed any interest in knowing more about what's going on at school? And he said, oh, I've never met them. Wow. And I thought, well, it's, it is, by this time it's um, May, early May. Wow. And he had never met the, the student who was several grades behind. Um, you know, she was at that point, she was in seventh grade and she was reading somewhere between a kindergarten and a first grade level. Wow. Um, and I also want to point out that she was from Iraq. She came from a family that um, really valued education, and she had no interruption in her schooling. Her family had paid for her when they had um, had to leave Iraq and went to Jordan. They had paid for her to go to private school in Jordan. So she, there had been actually no interruption. It just right. was in Arabic. And then right. when she came here, she just kind of slid backwards and, and, and in a way fell through the cracks. Right. Um, and so... The teacher had the best intentions. Right. He didn't want to bring her down, and he didn't want her family to be down on her. He was really worried that if he said anything that wasn't fully positive to the family, that um, that would uh, decrease her motivation to do well, and it right. would, that they would be really negative about it. So the family had no idea that she was so far behind. And, uh, and it just... It, that's one example of, of many about uh, people making assumptions about what the other person wants to hear, um, and also what uh, how the other person kind of constructs their role in their education right. of their child, too. And I think that goes back to the first tip that you were saying, mm -hmm. if, like, step one is just forming those genuine relationships and making that human connection mm -hmm. to find out what the other person, what's, what they value and what's important to them and what questions they have and what supports they need and what supports they want, how that addresses that um, and removes those assumptions when you start with making that connection. Absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me. Absolutely. Um, and then that really builds up trust, too. Right. So then you can, you know, you can really reach out and, and build a strong reciprocal relationship that can go two ways. Right. You know, I mean, one thing I love about this research, um, uh, there's a lot I love about it, but one thing I really love about it is how much I learn from the families. Right. And I remember as a teacher working with families and getting to know them and learning so much from them. And it was such a really rewarding part of my job. And it makes me really sad to think that with all of the accountability measures in our school today and just all of the other things that teachers need to do, that that, um, that joy of getting to know their uh, students' families has, uh, you know, it, it's not always there. Right. And that's really sad. Right. Well, on that note, and I know that we're running out of time, uh, can you just maybe 
what would you like to leave our listeners with? What is there something that you would really like our listeners to know before we sign off here? <laughs> well, I think I just really reiterate just to remember that we are, we're all human and that we all seek connection. Um, and that, you know, getting to know people as individuals, um, and learning about people's uh, personalities and families and cultures right. uh, is such a rewarding thing. And that, you know, sometimes it's a scary thing to put mm-hmm. yourself out there, um, especially when, uh, say, you're, you're working with a refugee family or a family from a different culture that you don't really know. And, and it can be kind of scary to, to not know how to interact with them. Um, and just to, you know, realize that you're human and that we all make mistakes, but all we can do is try and try our best. And even if you can't speak somebody's language, they understand good intentions. Right. And that usually will shine through. Right. Well, what a great reminder and lesson for us, not just as educators, but as human beings. I think that that's a great way to sign off today. So thank you so much, Shauna, Dr. Haynes, for joining us. (laughs) Thank you, Allison. If you want to know the full story about equity-based MTSS, just go to swiftschools.org where you can find lots more resources and stories in the field of school-wide transformation. Swift Education Center provides support and equity-based MTSS and inclusive education to promote the learning and academic achievement of all students, including students with disabilities and those with the most extensive needs.